welcome to High Action. I'm Perry Smith. I'm Will Brom. I'm John Story, and together we're the New West Guitar Group. On today's episode of High Action, we're featuring the amazing Jesse Van Ruler. A special thanks to our Patreon members and our sponsors who make this podcast possible. For more information on High Action and how you can get involved, please visit www.newwestguitar.com slash highaction. Well, welcome everyone to episode eight of the High Action Podcast. We're almost at number 10. We're getting really excited. And today we interviewed wonderful guitarist Jesse Van Ruler, our first European guitarist, actually, first of many to be coming yeah. up in the series. And we thought, since we're talking to a fellow European jazz guitarist, we should each share a little history of our own experiences in Europe, of which we all have quite epic experiences. Uh, John, have you any stories for oh us today? Oh my God, well, yes. Um, <laughs> and, and also might I add that I'm so excited to have Jesse on the High Action Podcast. And as we get farther into our interviews, it's just going to show the diversity and, and kind of the type of player that we're getting on here, because he's somebody that I've certainly been a fan of for a long time. Um, but yeah, in terms of uh, in terms of Europe, it's such a great place to go perform jazz and, and really any style of music. The audiences there are so deep and their culture there, it seems like they just include live music as a part of their regular livelihood, their, their regular lifestyle. And it's so beautiful to go see the history there. I'm such a history buff. And uh, just to get to go travel around and get to see the beautiful scenery. So there's some great stuff. But um, Perry, you could probably share with the listeners some pretty funny uh, New West stories that we had out there in the, in the good old days. Well, I have a really funny story from Germany when we were there as the New West Guitar Quartet. <laughs> and this is one of my favorite old New West stories about traveling around. We were staying at the Ellington Hotel. They were mm-hmm. putting us up and we were doing some concerts around Berlin. And we had a couple other things outside of town. And I remember we were staying in this fancy hotel and we were getting ready to go to a gig that was out of town, like maybe an hour away by by car. We had this rental car and I was the only one that could drive manual. So I was driving it. But again, you're on the opposite side (laughs) of the road. And if that wasn't challenging enough, we, we mistook the time. You know, we were so used to... Oh, because it's on a 24 hour. Yeah. Military time. Five o'clock, six o'clock, 7 p.m., 8 p.m. So when someone said, like, you know, you got to be there at 1800, like, we just. You're like, wait, 24, 23, 22, 21. (laughs) So we realized that we're going to be late for this gig. And we're like running out the door, trying to pack amps and everything into this small little car uh, that, that we had for a rental and four dudes and then speed off to wherever this gig was, not knowing the Anything. signs on the road, what that shit meant. This, this was before we had uh, yeah. like, a, like a smartphone or anything. And it was, it was pretty hysterical. We got there, we were late and they loved it. And you know, we had a fun time that night, but that what was a pretty funny experience. What did they serve Epic. us for dinner that night, Perry? You remember that? Oh, the famous ice spine. Ice spine. I spine. What's that? I've talked to some of my German friends about this. I don't even know if I'm describing it right, so I'm probably getting this wrong. But all I remember that it was like raw pig. Yeah, that's all I remember. Wow, and uncooked. Br- yeah, and they brought us the meat cleaver and everything. 
you know, and, and wow. we're sitting there and you guys looked at me and you're like, John, you're from Eastern Oregon. You probably know how to do this. <laughs> I think you ate some of it. I don't think I could. I think yeah. you had no problem. You no problem. Like, okay. <clears throat> wow. It was, that was a, that was hilarious. Yeah. And you're right. We printed off the map quest directions and it was all like, continue on Yulanda Straza, continue on Shirnazar Ali, continue on Yulanda Straza. It was like the streets in Berlin change every block. It's not like Sepulveda right. where it goes yeah. from Palos Verdes to the valley as the same. No, we were I like the it. blind leading the blind. It was pretty funny. Well, I have a story that's not that different from any venue you might play anywhere in the world, which is you show up. And to a residency, nonetheless, and the house amplifier is less than ideal. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, by that, I mean it was basically a tiny little Roland cube, like the smallest one possible. <laughs> so luckily, I basically started asking anyone in town if they knew anyone with a guitar amp. And I found one great guy who did. His name's Igor. He had a ZT lunchbox. So <laughs> I, took the, I took the Metro over to Igor's and uh, rented the ZT lunchbox from him, and it, it saved a whole five nights of gigs. That's great. You know, guitar trio with a ZT lunchbox. It works. Not as, not as much as the show in Berlin we did where I played through the Marshall stack with my L5. Perry, you remember that right. one? Yeah. Wow. Although, you know, Will, what I would have loved to see is uh, a video of you going stereo between a lunchbox and a cube. That would have been a real I cool tried thing. that. I tried that. It, you know what? It's so funny you say that because I literally tried that for one night, but I think the cube was buzzing a lot. It, it would literally oh. rattle every time you play a note. <laughs> it yeah, just you couldn't hang. To, uh, you don't have to go to Europe to experience that. I mean, you can go uh, down the street in Brooklyn. Get a right. Shoot. Oh, oh, man. Man, Europe great. has a lot of great advantages, you know, and, and uh, certainly our guest today, Jesse Van Ruler, was, was kind of talking a lot about that. What did you think, Will, about uh, that interview and getting him to open up about his experiences in Europe? I loved it. I love Jesse's approach to music, his approach to guitar. He, he comes at it from a very open-minded musical mindset. And a thing he mentioned that was great, he loves playing in drummerless trios and really utilizing the hollow body guitar fully. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. without the, the wash of the cymbals or anything kind of taking up those frequencies. Yeah, very much like we do in New West, you know. Very much. I think we have a lot in common with him. I think we should get into this interview. What say you guys? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. Well, without further ado, enjoy Jesse Van Ruler. So, Jesse, welcome to the High Action Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks. Um, we don't know each other personally other than through emails with Kevin Van Den Elzen. That's right. A mutual friend of ours. You've, you've played some shows with him around Holland and abroad, I believe, in the last couple years? Mm, actually, I've played with him twice. Okay. Yeah, uh, because he's been in Los Angeles for the last couple of years, right? Mm -hmm. So that's how you met him yeah and he was i, I i've I known him i remember him as a student at the at the school that i'm teaching at at, uh, at the amsterdam conservatory so when he's back here we sometimes have a gig together so that's uh how i Do know you him. ever play with jos mocktail 
Oh, very much. Yeah, Yoss is yeah. great. Yes, we played. We played. That's right. You played a trio, trio uh, tour yes. with those guys. Yeah, with Yoss, and then when we were in Berlin, we played with uh, Matt Adamite. I don't know if you know Matt, but I think he was at the I conservatory don't. at okay. some point. Hmm. So basically, I'd love to talk about your history, your story coming up in Amsterdam. Have you lived in Amsterdam your whole life? Yes. Let's start at the beginning. At age seven, I believe you got a nylon string guitar. That's right. Yeah. I wanted to play electric guitar, but uh, because uh, of the music that my parents were listening to uh, at home, mostly uh, 60s and 70s pop music, uh, a lot of Stones and um, Pink Floyds. I wanted to be a drummer first and then, mm. you know, listening to music and, and, and seeing my father enjoy that music so much i think that's the, my first music lesson that the way he listened to music he he always you know put on a record sat in his chair and closed his eyes and started nodding his his head to the to the music it's never it was never something that was just on in the background or something it was music was something you pay attention to so he asked me questions like what what instruments do you hear what instruments do you like wow. so and he always liked the guitar so I guess your dad is right at that age. So guitar it is, it was, but uh, at the local music school, they didn't teach the electric guitar to kids at that age. Mm -hmm. So I had to start on the, uh, the nylon acoustic guitar and, you know, finger style and uh, learn to read notes and all that stuff, which I'm, I'm very happy that I did. You mentioned that at a young age, you heard John Schofield's Still Warm album. Yeah, that's the first jazz or fusion jazz-related record that I ever heard. That's right. And uh, but that was much different. later. That was much oh, later. Was I was, later. Okay. must have been 14, 15. Okay. And that, that kind of introduced you into the, the jazz realm. Yes. You also mentioned a, a teacher that you studied with that I'm very curious about. I'm going to try to pronounce his name. Forgive me if I mispronounce it. Mm -hmm. Wim Overgal. Yes, very good. Oh, wow. Okay. I, yeah. I got picked up a little bit of Dutch when I was yeah. in Holland. Well, of so. course, we have the the, the uh, it's the letter. That's the most disgusting letter <laughs> in the world, I guess, for a lot of people. So we would say Wim Overgal. Uh, okay. But Overgal is perfect. And Great. yes, he was my teacher when I went to study jazz guitar. Already at that time, he must have been 60. So he already taught a lot of people. And so before him, I had, a, I had another teacher that, uh, that studied with him. So he was a great guitarist and self-taught, but played with a lot of the masters that visited Europe and Holland and even some of them lived in Amsterdam for a while because dope was easy to get, I guess. Definitely <laughs> one of the reasons. Mm -hmm. So he had a lot of knowledge and uh, a lot of experience. And because of him, the level of, j of jazz guitar in Holland was, was very high. Yeah, I feel like we all have a specific teacher or a couple teachers like that. I know Perry feels that way about Joe DiOrio. I feel that way about Ron Day. You know, some teacher came along at a fairly early age and really became like a beacon of hope and right. direction. Yeah. Yeah. After high school, you went to Jazz at Hilversum Conservatory, correct? That's right. Yes. Hilversum Conservatory was a small, relatively small school, at least when it started. And it was mostly guys that taught there that worked in the studios because Hilversum is where the TV studios were. A couple of those guys started teaching jazz and starting a school. 
mm-hmm. and that grew out to be a pretty big by the time i was there it was already pretty big and pretty international not as international as uh, as the school is now because this is actually the school that turned into the amsterdam conservatory where you teach currently yes i've been there most of my life yeah so you went to school <laughs> there you came up there and you're teaching that's there. right i feel like amsterdam has such a rich scene when i was in europe whoever i would talk to someone had spent time at that conservatory it feels like the manhattan school of music of of europe or something like that yeah it's definitely one of the biggest schools in europe uh, a lot of this, the schools like even paris berlin those schools they're very small very small faculties not not a lot of students Amsterdam school is huge in comparison to those schools. So, yeah, it's a magnet for a lot of European jazz students that want to stay in Europe or can't afford to study in in the U.S. I started studying there when I was 18, so I was after high school. But when I was in high school, I went to see concerts and I had friends that introduced me to to Schofield, for example. That was something I had a very it was a kind of a hippie high school where everything was kind of allowed. So in the canteen, there was, you know, students would play their own music. And luckily, I had some fellow students that were into George Benson and uh, Mm -hmm. John Schofield and Pat Metheny. So they introduced me to that music. They were older than me. Also, they they knew which, you know, local guys were interesting. And when, once I was in the uh, in the conservatory, yeah, a lot of international musicians came over to do concerts and, and teach. Amsterdam is definitely on the roots of all major touring acts. The Bim yeah. House, for example, the Bim House is our major club. It's very international. Like everybody is is playing there. It's a huge, mm-hmm. fantastic program. When I was <laughs> studying in Hilversum, there was a, they worked together with the University of Miami, but I never really played in the U.S. and until I did a a record with uh, a friend of mine who was a vocalist and she somehow made a record with some really big names. Uh, Christy McBride was on the record and Don Sickler produced the record. Mm-hmm. I was one of the guys that I played with her back back home and she, she brought me over to, to be on the record. So that's my, that was in 94. Mm-hmm. And also that's how I knew about the Monk competition because uh, Don Sickler, he was the musical director of the Monk competition at that time. So you come back to Holland, you send out your audition tape, they bring you back, Yeah. you win the Monk competition. <laughs> yeah. Shortly after you returned back to the Netherlands, like you made a decision to go back. Did you spend any time here? Did you consider, oh, well, maybe do I want to yeah. move here? Yeah, definitely. I've, I've considered it. And I've, I did spend quite some time in New York, but I always felt like a tourist. I saw how, how hard it is to make a living being a musician over there. Of course, my life would have been very different when I, sure. if I would have moved over there. You've recorded a good amount of albums. The first album I heard of yours was Live at Murphy's Law. Mm. Where is Murphy's Law? It's a little, a very tiny little bar in The Hague. I recorded it there during the North Sea Jazz Festival. So a lot of people were in town for for that, and uh, I did these two two nights in the, in that little club and uh, recorded it. I think that's such a great way to record a trio album is just play yes. a live gig. Yeah, play tunes you know. You're not reading too much and like hearing the audience reaction. Like that's such a absolutely yeah. I um, find it really hard to record standards or tunes that are really serve more as vehicles to to soloing and interplay to do that in the studio. 
right. of course, I've tried because I did some crisscross records. And, uh, yeah. But, you know, uh, recording your own material is different. It's, that's a different situation somehow. I, I feel that might fit a studio much more than, than recording agree. standards. I always prefer live over studio. And how did you get linked up with Crisscross Records? You have three albums on Crisscross? Yes. And I noticed there's a lot more of your original material on yeah, those. That's right. The guy that runs the label, he's he's a Dutch person. He mm -hmm. was. He just passed away uh, last year. Jerry Tekens. He invited me over to, to do a couple of dates for him. And I, yeah, I said, sure. That's That sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was uh, pretty amazing. I could, you know, recording with, with Bill Stewart and Samuel Hell. Seamus Blake, that was fantastic. Yeah, Samuel Hell and Seamus were on, were they on two or all three of those albums? No, on two of them. Uh, at that time, Bill was playing with all these huge stars and still, but he was playing with Schofield and, you know, it was impossible to get him on a gig. I did some gigs with, with uh, Sam and also with Seamus. I just really enjoyed playing with them. And uh, when I could make another one, I thought, yeah, why not? To the same mm -hmm. bands. I know the last couple of records I did is uh, with trio called Chamber Tones. It's bass, clarinet, and, and, and bass, and guitar. And did another Joe Henderson trio, bass, drums, guitar album. Speaking of Chamber Tones trio, you mentioned you like playing in drummerless trios. Yeah, I yeah. do. We have some experience in that. Myself, Perry, and John, who was not I've here heard today, that. Pl yes. play in New West Guitar Group, and there's yes. there's no drums. There's not even bass. So nice, man. I so really love it. It gives the guitar a lot more potential roles when the drums aren't there. That's right. I like using my hands, especially with the right hand, the binary motion of the hands as mm -hmm. a, as almost as a as a you know as a drummer or as a timekeeper. That's something you can carry the band, and especially if everybody has a strong time, that can be really an amazing feeling where it's really combined efforts. Especially, I like the sound of of all the individual instruments that. There are so many nuances that kind of disappear when once there's drums and cymbals. Right. Cymbal wash takes mm. out a lot of the you know little stuff that that really makes the guitar intimate. Also, especially and, 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 the and, guitar and, you're playing, you play a lot of hollow bodies. Yeah, like big hollow yeah. bodies. So, Very but also the body. also the also the bass and also the, the the bass clarinet. I mean, you hear all you hear all these little extra sounds that make them make the make the instruments come very close what's your experience like traveling around europe and whether you you're traveling with the same cats or using pickup bands my experience there i was there for a month playing some trio and some solo shows it was amazing because i could just hop on a train and go over to belgium and go over That's to germany right. and like yeah. you know that felt like such a great connection between countries and lots of different venues That's and right. scenes yeah. as opposed to here in the United States, where everything's kind of more spread out and literally just further apart. So what's your experience with gigging around Europe? Yeah, that's what I do a lot. I, I travel a lot. I have a lot of trios. Uh, so I have guys that I play with in England and Ireland. I have another trio that's based in Copenhagen, and we play in, in, in Sweden, Norway, and the Baltics, and a trio in France. A bunch of guys that I just play with every year or every second year. Yeah, it's so easy. It's so easy to travel in Europe and uh, especially from in Amsterdam. I envy that. I feel like that's one of the coolest things about Europe is is the interconnectedness between everything and the proximity. Yeah, it is. That's amazing. That's that's great. Today's episode of High Action is brought to you by AEA Ribbon Microphones and Preamps. AEA has been manufacturing high-quality ribbon mics under the AEA name since 1998. 
But prior to that, all the way back in the 70s, Wes Dooley himself, the founder of AEA, began servicing the old RCA 44 style ribbon microphones, which had been heavily in use since the 40s and 50s. Wes's uh, knowledge of these microphones, plus new advances in technology, allowed him to develop the AEA product line. Currently in New West, we use the uh, N22, the N8, even mics like the R88 and R84 from time to time. But all across the board, the entire product line is amazing. We absolutely love his microphones. So if you'd like to learn more about AEA ribbon mics or to purchase one of your own, visit aaribbonmics.com. First of all, Jesse, thank you for making time for our podcast. You're I've admired your, admired your playing for quite some time. It's great to hear a guy really throwing down on a hollow body. We talk about this a lot in New West Guitar Group. It seems to be there's a little trend away from the hollow bodies, uh, more to like the semi-hollows yeah. or solid body guitars for jazz, which is cool, which sounds great. You know, for me, I sort of have that preference towards the hollow body. I've played the 175 for a lot of years, and so it's great to hear what, what you do on your instrument. Being a guitar podcast here, I'd love to sort of talk about some of the instruments that you play, some of the guitars that you prefer. I was doing some reading up on a guitar that you you work with the builder. I think it's called Elfernick. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah, I'd love well, to hear you talk about sort of the process right. of working with a luthier. We've worked with luthiers and with different instruments and kind of developing that guitar sort of to your liking. I'd love to hear you talk about that. Yeah. When I finished my studies and my teacher, who was really sick, uh, he, he gave me the guitar that I was played at his home, uh, which was, is a Swedish guitar, a Levin. It's a, it's a European instrument. It's, it's a solid top, not a great instrument, but it had a very distinguished sound because it had, it has, had these dearmant uh, dynasonic pickups on it mm. uh, attached to, uh, to the top. Okay. So it's a solid top, but, you know, cut a hole in it and yeah. put one of those pickups or two of those pickups on it. And it's really different, sound very different from other guitars. Okay. And I love that guitar, but unfortunately, I, I drove over it with my car <sighs> and it got completely crushed. <laughs> How could you? <laughs> it happens. My teacher did the same thing. Oh, yeah. His guitar. It happens. Funny, yeah. yeah. It happens. You know, you know, you... I was in a hurry, yeah, came yeah, from, yeah. actually, I came from, yeah, I came from rehearsal, on the phone, put my guitar to the back of my guitar, went into the car to write something down, and I was in a hurry, and I thought everything was in, but it wasn't. Crazy. Anyway, so then, Franz Elferink, who was a luthier, he, at that time he was starting, he contacted me and said, hey, I want to build you a guitar, can we talk about that? And I thought, well, you know, I need a new guitar. <laughs> I want to act. I would like to have that same guitar with the same pickup, but more playable because it, the, the neck was huge on that Levin guitar and uh, not very good. You know, I had to really have, I had huge action and thick strings in order to make the sound to, to play it at all. Mm. So I gave him the crust guitar and he uh, took it as, an, uh, as a starting point. I made me as it's actually pretty similar looking guitar. At, at least the shape of the body is pretty similar. So I also also put that that Dynasonic pickup, that yeah. Dearmond pickup on it. Of course, he wanted. You know, most luthiers don't want that. They don't want to cut a hole in their yeah. expensive top. But uh, so he he tried some other pickups first, but I I I didn't like it. So I made him cut yeah. a hole. 
I tend to agree with you. Having the pickups locked into uh, the top of your guitar, I've always felt sounds better. Uh, yeah. I have a D'Angelico reissue that has a floating pickup, and it's nice. It sounds great, but I could never make them sound as good, especially through an amp, as I could yeah. with the ones that are locked in. And yeah, of course, the luthier is yeah. not going to want to do that. It's like putting exactly. a hole in their baby. I think what it is you know? is that, that, that those, especially those those Dynasonic, the, the, the Armin pickups, they're kind of they're slightly microphonic. Mm -hmm. And if they're floating, I guess there's not a lot of vibrations from the from the top reaching the the, the pickup. But if mm -hmm. you attach it to the top and it's microphonic, what you get it's it's kind of a microphone you put on there. It's, yeah. It's uh, I think that's the, that's the sound. Well, the hollow body guitar in general is just it's such a deep instrument. You were talking earlier a little bit about the subtleties that come out on the guitar when you're playing in a group that's a little quieter. Maybe that's yeah. without drums or something. And yeah, maybe you can talk a little bit about this with uh, the guitar. You know, we mentioned the name Joe Diorio. He was a teacher of mine and John Stories uh, many years ago in California. And he said to me, he said, the first 20 years are a warm up. And <laughs> I, I really actually have come to believe that that is true. You know, there's something about the box that takes so long to really figure out your sound and figure out how to navigate all the different subtleties, how to deal with it in different scenarios, whether you're playing loud or quiet. You know, talk about sort of your journey on sort of diving into the arch top and sort of yeah. where you feel like you are now with it and where you might have been 10, 20 years ago with it. Yeah, I, I for me, actually destroying that guitar was kind of a blessing because uh I, that like i said that guitar the setup on that guitar was so heavy that i had a really strong attack mm. and didn't play as dynamic really uh as i do now and also i when i still had that guitar i played with uh, pat Metheny in duo we had a duo concert wow and he said to me he said you know it's great jesse you play you play great and and it's, uh, it sounds really good but it could be more dynamic and i took it very serious and um yeah well, um, pat tells I started looking started looking for a different instrument but it was you know since it was an inherited instrument i, I found it so found it hard to put it aside and so that kind of maybe <laughs> psychologist would would tell me that i did it on purpose you know <laughs> Uh, so I started looking for different instruments, and uh, yeah, I had different instruments. I, you know, I admire Peter Bernstein, as I'm sure everybody listening to this sure. podcast does. Yeah. And uh, so he had a Zeigler, and then I was offered a Zeigler at some point. There was a guy here in Holland who owned one, and he, uh, he had some money problems, and he, he he offered it to me. I bought it, and uh, unfortunately, it wasn't. I mean, it was a great guitar, but he he had it made for him. And he had very tiny hands, and I don't. <laughs> so the neck was really flat, and I couldn't really get used to it. So I sold it again. Hmm. And, and I bought some other guitars, and then I stayed with... I stayed with... Uh, of course, I stayed with uh, the Elfring for a while, but um, also playing different guitars, I, I started to also uh, use thinner strings. And that made me also play different because I couldn't hit it as hard anymore because, uh, you know, if, if you hit it too hard, it's just, you know, there's no sound anymore. So um, right now I play so much softer on all of my guitars. Yeah, if you're asking about my journey, that's definitely part of it. Starting, starting out with just, you know, hitting it 
super hard and then yeah. try and then slowly getting into a more maybe more refined way of playing also using my fingers much more than just playing with pick well you know we've had both uh john schofield and pete bernstein on this podcast and uh, right. they, they talk a lot about just honing your skills on that on one instrument that you're really kind of defining for a yes. while yeah and it sounds There's, like you've had that same journey to talk a little bit about that organ trio setting you know we talked a little bit about settings without drums but certainly one with drums that seems to be conducive towards guitar players is organ trio seems oh, to be yeah. popular for a, a bunch of guitar players and what kind of drew you to make the choices of doing organ trio versus well, like a quartet with piano bass you know like you said the organ trio is such a it's such a delicious setting for guitar and uh there are no really not really organ players in europe oh, it's no. such an american instrument interesting i didn't realize yeah that. so I, I didn't really i never played i i did recordings with with larry goldings and i love the organ especially if it's played in, in you know like that uh so yeah i was just <laughs> taking the opportunity really i can play i can do an organ record i, I could never do that in in, in europe I didn't realize it wasn't as wide, widely played out in Europe, but that I guess that kind of makes sense. It has sort of an American tradition, maybe, or something out, out yeah. here. I'd, I'd be interested in your insight, and you're teaching at a conservatory at the Amsterdam Music Conservatory. Give us your opinion on what it's like studying jazz now versus mm. maybe studying it in the 90s. Right. Oh, it's so different. Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So this, when I was studying... It was more dogmatic, definitely. Um, now I feel like it's much more open, and the whole like the new generation is more open by itself. Yeah, it's a very positive, positive school. I feel like it's, I'm very happy to to be part of it. Yes. So this is from the album Views, and this song is relevantly titled Amsterdam. <laughs> Thank you. 
Jesse, I did have uh, just another question that we like to ask all our guests, maybe as a way to kind of wrap up here a little bit. What are some of your five to ten Desert Island albums, recordings that you would take with you, ones that come to mind that are real important to you? You know, lately, for the last couple of years, I've been very much into Blake Mills. Oh, yeah. yeah and really, it's his Hi-Ho records. That's one of, one of my favorite records, definitely. Of course, also some stuff that I that I discovered when I was uh, young, like like Still Warm, Schofield. I still enjoy that record so much every time I hear it. Yeah. You know, it's just, uh, just also because it makes me remember how I felt when I heard it the first time. Yeah, and then, you know, some classics maybe, some, some, some West records. Definitely should be a West, West Montgomery record in there. Sinatra, Life at the Sands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a little bit great. of everything, I guess, you know, um, and that has to be a good funk record in there. If it's only five, then that would be my fifth record. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe you mentioned James Brown. There's a great quote of yours where someone said, how, how do you, you know, conceptualize like having good time and good groove? You're like, listen to James Brown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I find I've, I remember discovering that precision and time and, and, and relaxation at the same time that it's the same thing in, in, in playing rhythm guitar in the yeah. in, in the bassy bands or playing, you know, in James Brown drums in the James Brown bands or, or you know, any it's all it's all the same. I re, re, just remember discovering that and it made my jazz playing much more interesting, I think, because I suddenly realized how important time is and that it really I had to prioritize that yep, to make my music interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So right now when I play, I don't really think about the notes that much. It's really I'm, I'm, I'm trying to imagine to imagine the articulation of it and the time. That's it. That's where what I'm thinking of. Jesse, man, it's been such a pleasure having you on here. Thank you. Especially getting to chat about the, the connection to Europe. And I mean, you know, I, I hope to come back to Amsterdam sometime soon. I hope we yes. can connect. Yes, you know, we should definitely so let fun. me know. We'll hang out and play. Absolutely. I'm looking forward. Thanks again for joining us for another exciting edition of High Action. We'd like to take this moment to thank our sponsors for making this podcast possible, especially those who follow us on Patreon. If you'd like to join us, visit us at www.patreon.com slash newwestguitargroup. There you can subscribe monthly to our Patreon page and get exclusive content from today's podcast. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts for all the future episodes. Once again, I'm John Story with New West Guitar Group, and thanks for joining us on High Action.